It's Tuesday, October 17th. Live and direct from New York City, the only place where Taylor Swift hasn't been this week. I'ma let you finish. Podcast number 160. Taylor, you've been in New York. You've been everywhere. You should come here. We'd like to talk to you. It's Amy. It's Courtney. Uh, well, I would, because guess what? She got, We got her on this show, and this show, we're already global. Like, literally, I look at our, our we're being listened to around the world, but I mean, listen, I'll take a little Taylor Swift coming on the show, to, even if she weighs by and says hi, we get all those Swifties who will hate us, but still like us in some fashion. Did you see how they are... They're now they're now mad at first we feast and Sean Evans. Did you hear this? Because no. that's hot. You know, hot ones. The wing yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So evidently, they made a promo for a show. Something coming on, and they just said, "Are you ready for it?" Which is a title of one of Taylor Swift songs. So I guess the Swifties thought, "Oh, is she going to be on there?" And they realized she wasn't going to be on there, and they see it as, "Why are you co-opting a title of her song oh, and telling Jesus everybody?" And I'm like, Christ. "This new thing with the fan base is feeling like they have to be at war, or people own titles and words is kind of really nuts. It's super, 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 super nuts." Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, um, it's the shit that I wish you guys could see Amy's face because she has zero patience for that kind of bullshit. I, I mean, zero patience for that kind of bullshit. She's just like, no. I think people no. need to realize that fan is short for fanatic, and we see what fanatics do worldwide. So, anyway. I mean... <laughs> um, all right, speaking of fanatics, something you deeply care about, and I'm mildly interested, Madonna. <laughs> Though, that said... The shows are not selling in Brooklyn, so there may be tickets. There are tickets available still for the Barclays show. So I did ask our block association. I mean, what the hell? Of course I'll see her if she's down the street. But remember, remember, the Barclays show were originally the second run of the U.S. dates. The Madison Square Garden dates that are coming in January were the original four dates to that tour that had sold out. So then they added more dates so that... This run that's going to come to the U.S. when she opens the tour in December is the run that was supposed to be, okay, I'm coming back to the U.S. for those who didn't get tickets for the first time around. So I can see why maybe those tickets, they're still available because everybody held on to their tickets first time around. Can I just say this? Now, you know I love Madonna. I love Madonna lots. I love Madonna is my number one girl. Everybody knows this. You're leading up to like saying you didn't like what you saw. I mean, this is like when you have to qualify it, but no, really, you're leading up to saying this looks like an incredibly produced track date. An incredibly produced, expensive, gorgeous, well thought out, choreographed track date. Am I wrong? Where she's kind of from every clip that I've seen. First of all, let me just start by this. She looks beautiful. She looks well, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, she, she sounds does. great. I was really happy that she yeah. sounded great. She's also not doing anything. Every, she's not, okay. every, every clip I see, she's like, she's just walking. Okay, let me walk over here. And it's just weird to see Madonna, who was, who in, in concert, movement is a very big part yeah, of Madonna. She's a show. dancer. She's 65. I don't expect Madonna to be popping it like the Confessions Tour or Blonde Ambition. But it's weird to see Madonna just kind of walking around. And it does feel like 
like with her having no band and no backup singers for this tour, and then you're not really dancing, all of the reviews have been amazing, right? But I'm noticing the reviews are all framing it around, we're so glad she's here, the help out. So this feels like the... She did pity, almost the she, pity fuck of she, course. <laughs> she oh she almost died. We almost lost right. Madonna. She's the last right. of the big three. Let's not kill her and be like this show has pacing it, it, issues. Look, the show to me looks like it has pacing issues. Well, I mean, in her defense, it's the first run. This is a huge extravaganza. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I saw a few of the clips on social media. That whole Michael Jackson thing is pathetic that she does <laughs> because I'm she does a thing where behind well, a screen where it's, it's her, but. But it's the, all of these things. See, if you're a Madonna fan, I know why she did it. I'm well, just saying you don't even know if it's her because no, she's behind but, a screen. But it's not. Well, it's not her. And it's okay. it's, it's that's what I thought. Th- this show has references to her full career, past tours, and all of that. That is a reference to her very first tour, the Virgin tour. Which had the screens, and she came down, and the final song of the Virgin tour was Like a Virgin, which she did as a mashup with Billie Jean. So it's a throwback to that. And there's a bunch of those moments in the show where she's referencing the past tours, past videos, past things. I had no problem with all of that. It's just every clip I keep seeing, and I'm like, I will wait and judge if when I see this show. It just feels like... Okay, so she just walked over there. Oh, now you're walking over. It's a lot of walking. Just walking (laughs) with hand movement. And here's the thing. They all get to the age where there's a lot of hand choreography. I love hand choreography. I get it. But at one point, you're not even using both hands in your hand choreography. It's just kind of like one hand. And I'm like, what's happening? But I love Madonna. I will listen. I I hate that you put it that way because now I was like, what is the right, what am I trying to think? And then when you just said a really expensive, (laughs) well-produced track date, I'm like, yeah, that might be the perfect definition of what I'm saying. And that's not a slam. It's just what it is. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. And you charge a lot of money. And here's the thing. The, you guys had three months to get three extra months to get this together. The sound broke down the first night. I, I can't blame her that. I no, mean, no, like, you can't. But then the second night there was another issue, and you came on the stage late, and because of the Madame X debacle, where she paid overtime at every house and lost all of that money, she doesn't want to do any overtime, so she ended the show early, leaving out four songs. Now. I'm sure if it was just four any old songs, the fans wouldn't be that upset. But if you end the show after Rain and the four songs that the fans missed are Like a Virgin, Holiday, Music, and Celebration, I can see why fans who paid Well, gee, that they can just listen to the record since that seems to be the basic vibe about this, which is like, we're not going to get a band because everybody loves the track. So in a very cynical sense, you could listen to the record and show videos. I mean, you know, I'm sorry to be cynical. That could be... Watch me on television, you know? It's a little like, it's a how much money did you charge people for this? Yeah, tickets? you know what? It's, it's like, what's sucker happening? Sucker born every minute. All right. <laughs> I, let's give this woman like a minimum amount of time. Okay. Jada, go away. I know. I'm going to say that we have been consistent on this show. If you listen to Courtney and Amy for the past four years, you know. 
We've been calling her on her bullshit for four years. I've had people argue me down after hearing something I've said on this show. She's da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, she's full of shit. She's full of shit, in my opinion. I just know from things that I was around and things that I saw, I'm like... Hmm. Well, if her, her here's the thing, and I'm not the one to bring it at the original thought. If her entire brand has been built on speaking her truth, which is the most stupid phrase ever, because there's no her truth or my truth, mm-hmm. there's true or not true. But if her whole thing is about speaking my truth and divulging and opening up to her audience, so now we basically find out that everything she's been saying has been a lie. That you've been lying. You've been lying. Here's the so, thing. You've I been mean, lying. Like, Willingness, yeah. peace, peace, peace. And then when you showed the moment when you were supposed to show people. That's why I always tell people, stop believing people whose idea whose idea of peace and self-love and help is selling you something. She's Be- a Scientologist, okay? They're Scientologists, I'm sorry, or they're Scientologists adjacent, so right off the bat, I'm still trying to figure out, on a completely shallow note, how she's gone through a very extreme autoimmune thing, and not only grown her hair back, but done the worst thing you can do to your hair as someone who has done that. Chemically which processed it, it. Which is right. bleach it. Right. If you want to destroy your head, it's bleach your head. And then wait, wait, the best part is she drops all of those bombs. We weren't, we're not together. And I guess trying to clean it up has been back on TV yesterday trying to do it. And I'm like, we don't care. Well, obviously we do care because people keep talking about it. But you know what? I mean, I am very proud to say I've not watched one of the interviews. I've not clicked. I've not clicked on any. But, you know, usually for the show, I'll watch some shit, even if I hate it, to be like that. I'm like, I refuse to give this a click. I refuse no. to read any of the articles. I just refuse. She's not an interesting person. Would she just stop and go away? Just go. Well, she's go. Yeah. Away. She's just. She's in bed. Right. Um, SNL came back. I didn't even realize it was gone, and that's not to be catty. I keep forgetting because I don't watch it, and not because you, it was you, so great back never, then. Were you never? A oh, watcher? of course I watched it. Of course mm-hmm. I watched it. God, I watched. I remember watching it in the seventies. It was a big deal. It was to a big stay deal. up to watch SNL. It was the it was. first of its kind. I just don't watch it because it comes on super late. I watch yeah. the clips the next day. Yeah. Um, Pete Davidson did uh, was back. It was the first first time he's been back since he left the show. Um, you yes, know, because when you, he was the last host who was supposed to do it right as every the strike started and it shut down. So right. then they they brought him back. Yeah. So he was, you know, SNL has had the unfortunate history of having to be funny after tragedy. You know, there was a lot going on in the world, and I think that he handled it very well. There, he it was the right guy to say the right thing at the right time right. and um again i i thought the i'm not ken thing was hilarious mm-hmm. uh, he's look i'm not i don't want to get into a big thing with pete but he does nothing to uh to encourage this much hatred he seems like a perfectly nice guy he has never trashed any woman he's gone out with he's never cashed in on any woman he's gone out with he's a decent human being he's very open about his issues he's very forthcoming i got no problem i actually with like him, him. i think he's i he's think fun. he's a i think he's a new york guy he's you totally know, a new york guy outerborough guy you he's know. had some struggles like we've all had some struggles well he's and, had more struggles than we've had true, but you know but he's had but i think new york is we we relate to people like who are own who've had some struggles and you still keep pushing through and just trying to do your best and he is funny 
And he was he is funny. funny. And he's funny. Like I said, he's a decent guy. He's been very open. He's dealing with real stuff. This is not just like I'm I'm not in a good mood type of thing. This is real stuff. Right. Um. So, yeah, it was good. I didn't watch it. I, I Spice to me is like the biggest joke ever perpetrated on the American public. <sighs> and I, I don't even want to, you know, I, I she <laughs> sucked. Big surprise. She has made a song that is cute or two. She absolutely has, right? But it is, I look at her and I'm like, you are boring. You don't have to text me. I see it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, it's oh, yeah, not yeah. to you. Oh, yeah, okay. somebody Ooh. else. You know what? The read, wait, the read no, of her, wait, read. no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, no, just to me, the read of it's not to you and not even look up was very much like trashy ho, I'm not talking No, this is important, but this is a building, a building yeah. thing, sorry. Yes, but, um, yeah, I was watching that going, okay, so I'm glad for any artist you're getting these big looks, but I remember... When even if you were hip hop, when you were hip hop going on Saturday Night Live, they required you to have a band. They did. That was a rule. You had to have a band. So, okay, she does this performance without a band, but it was just kind of like nothing. It's like I touch my hair, look my ass, I touch my. It's just she's not like, talented. That's why. I mean, she's not talented. It's she's kind, cute. Yeah. It's like it's like like this little cherub or something, but there's no. Yeah, she's no not ta- talented, and the only reason Taylor Swift hitched her wagon to it is that her boyfriend at the time trashed her, and Taylor Swift is no dummy, and she knew that if she was associated with a the woman hot of color being the hot a thing, woman yeah, of yeah. color being mm-hmm. trashed, especially for a woman like Taylor Swift, who yeah. you know was the Aryan Nation poster girl ten years ago, right. you know, so she has to be. Um, anyway, speaking of women of color. Um, yeah, this is crazy about FK Twig. So she, somebody leaked all her. See, this somebody is why you need breached. to have. You have to have everything on a hard copy. <laughs> or you got to do like Travis Scott. It just has to fall into the bottom of the ocean. Well, it's throw all, it in the bottom it, of the ocean. It's, yeah. it's all on my phone. It's irretrievable. Like I know. Nine, 85 of her demos for her upcoming project were somebody hacked into her computer took them and has leaked them onto the internet. So now she's starting all over. And I just, the whole idea of, if you love these artists, hacking into their stuff and stealing it, it's just really insane. And I feel for her because that's such a violation. It's such a violation. You're assuming that, I mean, it could be deliberate sabotage too. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, you know, people are not... um, all right, let's let's before we bring on Michael, let's just mem- remember some really great people from various um, realms of entertainment who mm-hmm. passed uh, this week. Um, S- Ronald, I'm sorry, not Ronald Isley, uh, Rudolph Isley, one of the founding one of the, members, one of the yeah. founding member of the Isley brothers. I was listening to um, Giving It Back yesterday, which is, if you've never heard, is the Osley Brothers covers album. Mm-hmm. Hands down, one of the best records of its time. And I would say, hands down, better versions of the original songs than the originals. Right. Um, so it's very sad. He had left the group a few years ago because he became a minister. But the Osley Brothers, I'm sure you know this, have had, had a hit in every decade since the 50s. Wow. So, you know, hugely influential. And so, I mean, Ernie Isley. Were you a fan from the first time? Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. I think the Isley brothers are, I would go, I would say, um, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, but to me, the Isley brothers were even better. 
than Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Uh, it, not that nothing against Earth, Wind, and Fire. Don't people with onks come at me? But um, no. <laughs> um, but the I think the Isley Brothers have a. I, sorry. Sorry. You you have an image of people running down the street. Oh um, God. Trying oh, to no, I just I just could see you in your neighborhood with a bunch of hoteps screaming coming oh, at you. Yeah, coming at me. <laughs> Throwing patchouli uh, oil. Damn you hoteps. <laughs> damn you hoteps. Leave the white devil alone. Um no, uh, I love the Isobos. Phenomenal mm-hmm. group. So he passed um Suzanne Summers, who I'm not gonna lie, was not a part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, there was nothing there's nothing bad to say about them. The woman, mm-hmm. you know, she um, she, she, she fought did, for equal pay for women and paid a price. She she paid a price early on. She asked for. She's like, I'm a big star in this show. She asked for what the men got and yeah. was treated like shit. Right, and treated like a bimbo. And then she was like, okay, fine, and got her went and did her Las Vegas act, and then started writing her books. And then, if you are a certain age, you will never forget the motherfucking thigh master. Um, yeah. All right, sorry. I'm like doing two things. I'm directing traffic here. Michael just texted me. <laughs> I'm like, ah, people are asking, is there are the utilities included in the apartment? Can I do this? All right. Mm-hmm. And then why don't you talk about the last two and then we'll bring our pal in. Um uh Piper Laurie and Gail O'Neill. Well, Gail O'Neill I'd forgotten about her. I mean not yeah, in a mean right. way. Well, I just you probably like, hadn't seen her in a Right. But Gail O'Neill was a huge like she was just that black model whose face I would see when I was younger Everywhere. and just thought she was the most beautiful thing. Gorgeous woman. And she's one of the early models who we saw leave modeling and really moved to having a successful career in journalism, you know? And they they've not she was only 61. They've not disclosed um what what why what why she passed but gail o'neill is a trailblazer and pioneer and you know needed to she be was a newscaster too. yeah yeah she was she absolutely was and then we have the amazing piper laurie who to me will always be carrie's mother like right, carrie I, I never mother. saw carrie You've I've, seen seen Car- I've seen oh parts of Carrie. I've seen parts of Carrie. I've seen, I know what no. it's about. Or maybe I have. I, the <laughs> creepy movies creep me out. I love Brian. Brian that, listen, Brian De Palma took what everybody thought would just be, it's the first Stephen King film adapted, right? Oh, okay. And yeah, I know, I see him. Um, and everybody, um, when it was made, they just thought it was, it's John Travolta's first movie. It's like Nancy Allen, a lot of people. They just thought they were going to get a B-level horror movie my, Byron De Palmer directs this film. It's a masterpiece. It becomes a huge hit. Piper Laurie is nominated for an Oscar. Sissy Spacek is, is nominated for an Oscar. But Piper is a legendary New York theater actress. So rest And on in a power. really good Law & Order episode, yeah. too. Rest Remember the power. one where she plays the foster mother with the cane? Oh, my And God. then she kills the kid. She ties oh him to God. the chair yeah, yeah, and yeah, kills yeah, the yeah. kid with the cane. <laughs> and it's the slow kid who right. narks her out. right. Oh man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So rest in peace to her. All All right. right, So let's introduce. Well, you know what? We're gonna take a break. Let's take a break, and then then we're gonna introduce our guest. Listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we're back. We're back. All right. Coming up to bat. Batting for the, I'm going to use every sports reference known to mankind because Michael has already admitted he's not a Knicks, or he's not a basketball guy. Um, I'm going to do what I do every time we have an author. I'm going to hold up the book to the screen that you're, no one's going to see except for me, Courtney, and the author. <laughs> and it's also backwards. So I'm going to read it. All right. Michael Azrad is... Uh, is the best. He's the best. Um, and he has written, he has a new book out called the amplified come as you are the story of Nirvana, which is an annotated supersized pumped up really, really, really interesting, uh, reworking. I, it's not a revision. It's complete reworking of his, um, classic and i use the word deliberately book come as you are about nirvana he has also written michael forgive me for this um and our band could be your life scenes from the american indie underground 1981 1991 he's appeared lots of fabulous places he takes a dandy picture um he's been a writer for the new yorker oh you were for the new yorker cool the new york times the wall street journal and rolling stone and He's great, and he's a native New Yorker. And Michael, welcome. Thank you, Amy. 
Are Great we going to look here. at you? Can you, can we <laughs> turn on your visual? I haven't seen you forever. But anyway, <laughs> how uh, are you? I, I'm, I'm very well, thanks. And how are you, Amy? I am fine. Courtney, how are you? How are we doing? I'm black and blessed. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm neither. But I'm <laughs> neither of them. Well, I'm going to ask the first question. And Michael, it's this really good book. And I can I just say I like whoever designed the book did a really good job. I like the sort of, it sort of reminds me of a textbook. And I say that as a high compliment. It's really kind of um, especially with the little annotated at the bottom in yellow, like when you used to buy your used textbooks at Barnes and Noble. Uh, I used to, right. <laughs> remember that? If you were in school. And all the there's footnotes a, there's actually and everything a, that would be in there. Absolutely. There's a, there's actually a story behind uh, the cover. Um, it was, the, you'll notice that the designer is named Lawrence Azared. Nepo, Nepo baby. Yep, totally. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, Lawrence, uh, is, um, I think, I think he's my third cousin. So our great grandfathers were brothers. And, um, he, uh, is a, a very, uh, uh, highly acclaimed art director. And he designed the cover for Californication and oh. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, and uh, he's done all of Wilco's stuff ever since, and won a Grammy. And uh, he was kind enough to do the cover of my book too. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it, it does look really super cool, and there's great pictures in here. And so, let me ask you: I guess what is the obvious question? Uh, you had a very successful book. Um, it's still read. It's still um, talked about. Why go back? What was the motivation to go back and annotate it? And and just talk about that. What was the motivation to do that? Uh, well, uh, Come As You Are is the only book that was written uh, 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 about Nirvana while Nirvana still existed. It's the only book that has interviews with every member of the band, including uh, Kurt Cobain. And it's very much uh, a product of its time. And now 30 years have passed, and a lot of the people who read this book um, were born after it was published. And part of the reason um, I did the annotated version was to kind of explain the 90s to people who weren't there. <laughs> and But also, I think it's to maybe uh, explain the 90s for people who were there <laughs> and were, are still trying to make sense of, of, you know, what happened, especially with the Nirvana phenomenon. Um, just, uh, you know, looking back on it, you know, there, it was a, it was a really huge deal. And, um, I, I don't know, I'm a big believer in trying to make sense of <laughs> what happened to you in your life. Um, so that was part of it. Um, another part was, I, I thought there was a lot to say about, um, the journalistic process that I could you know, bring to bear um, using my experience of writing Come As You Are as an example. And then also, I just thought it would be fun <laughs> um, yeah. to, to point out cool little things in the book um, that um, I didn't remark on the first time, like, um, you know, the significance of the song Get Together. Um, Chris Novoselich sings a little snippet of that before Territorial Pissings. And um, there's actually a lot to say about that song and how it relates to nirvana in that particular song so it, i know there's a lot of things a lot of angles that i was exploring with this 
And it also kind of just reading through it, it it's almost like a conversation you're having with yourself because you'll you'll print you'll po print post there's something that was in the original book and then you're like, eh, actually that wasn't quite true, you know, in hindsight, because when you're in the middle of it, I would imagine you don't, I mean, not that you, you have distance as a journalist, but 30 years, 30 years, 30 years, geez, 30 years. Um, This is so crazy. The day that he killed himself, which obviously was one of the big news events of a time and one of the big moments for those of us who watched MTV News. I mean, Kurt Loder announcing this. It was this. This is going to sound so weird. It was the same day that Ramon Cortinas, who was the chancellor of the New York City public school system, was basically driven out of the school system. Right. And I remember thinking almost more impacted by that. I was like, oh, great. Now who's going to run the schools? Though I was impacted by Kurt. But <laughs> that's my weird perspective. But it is interesting how you're having and also to kind of there are some people who at the time were very much portrayed as villains. I think Courtney certainly being one of them and Dave Grohl in a way was sort of portrayed as a villain. Um, and I think you do, uh, uh, you really try to present them in a more even handed light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Part of it, I think, yeah, was, you know, correcting the record and using, um, you know, insights and wisdom I'd gained, you know, in the intervening years to, uh, again, amplify, you know, the story and the, the characters in it. Uh, so Yeah. Uh, you know, 30 years will give you a lot of uh, perspective. Nirvana had such a, you know, I don't, I don't think people realize <clears throat> that their run was rather short yeah. for, for a rock band, but yeah. yet they still have such a cultural impact. Why do you think all of these years later, people still are interested and there's still more things to find out about them? Um, I, I, we live in a time of, you know, fake news, fake food, fake politicians, artificial intelligence, um, you know, deep fakes, you know, there's so much in this world that's just fake and unreal, artificial. And Nirvana was for real. They were incredibly passionate and, you know, the the buzzword, uh, you know, authentic, they were for real and they meant every moment of it. And that cannot be faked. And I think that's a timeless quality that, um, you know, uh, people, you know, I th- that's, it's proof that it's timeless, I guess, so far, is that people still appreciate that quality in, in, a, in a world of um, such manufactured artificial stuff. So I think that's, that's a, a big part of it. Um, I, I think, you know, you know, it's a kind of cliche that people who die young, you know, get kind of canonized and mythologized. And um, that certainly plays a part in it too. But I think in the end, it's the music, you know, it's that that genuine feeling of the music that is um, people will always crave, or at least some people will. It's the first time I, I think the first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit I think it's just appropriate. I, I used to spend a lot of time in Portland, Oregon, because my best friend, who is still my best friend, but she lived in Portland for a very long time. And the first time I heard it, her then teenage daughter was literally blasting it on repeat. Hmm. And I think it's in early in the morning. I think I, I came into the, her room at one point and go, will you turn this fucking shit down already? Mm-hmm. And then I realized what it was. And this heat, they really were 
having spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, they really, Nirvana really did sum up the ethos and the sort of, I hate the word vibe, but it's the only word I can think of right now, of, of that time and of that movement and of that, the sort of like the kids, like, you know, the no future, the, the, the American version of, you know, Johnny Rotten's no future. Cause they didn't, you know, have a future really. Yeah. Yeah. Their Nirvana, you know, was a very, uh, in addition to being uh, timeless, uh, they were also very much of their time, you know, very zeitgeisty band. And so, you know, that's one big category of the, uh, an- annotations in my book, which is just putting them into a cultural context and showing how so much of uh, the Nirvana phenomenon keyed into, um, you know, cultural and uh, sociological and political currents that were going on at the time. So, you know, uh, things like, you know, the Republican moral panic that uh, Pat Buchanan kicked off at the 1992 uh, Republican National Convention. Um, you know, heroin chic, slackers, um, you know, all kinds of, um, uh, you know, fears that Gen X had growing up uh, in the shadow of AIDS and, um, you know, Reagan and, you know, uh, the Cold War Part Two and all kinds of things like that. So um, a lot of the annotations uh, are about that, tying in uh, Nirvana to this kind of greater uh, cultural context. Were they the first? Oh, I'm sorry, Courtney. Sorry. They were really smart with visuals. Like at the time mm. where um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, when that single was huge, I worked in video promotion at Columbia. And so, you know, dealing with all of the networks, I remember that video really connecting with that MTV generation of kids. Because you would not really think of just when you, when I think of Nirvana, it's, it's almost synonymous with MTV, which is weird because that kind of band you would think would shun the almost mainstreamness of MTV. Mm. But they really captured the way a lot of kids felt in a generational moment that I remember just, it just was always so big. And I think that they were really smart in their visuals because it really spoke to people at a certain age. And I think that that has carried on because every teen teenagers, I think you all go through that period and, and have that moment. Like who, who, how did they come up with a lot of their visual stuff? I always wondered, was it Kurt? Was it a full band decision? Like how, how did they really make decisions on the visual part of their career? Um, well, I mean, Kurt, um, you know, before he dropped out of high school and a, a few weeks before graduation was on track to go to art school. And he probably would have been a, some sort of commercial artist or something. So, um, you know, all, the visual stuff was all Kurt. He called the shots, you know, on how the videos went, what the t-shirts look like, obviously album covers, anything visual, you know, that was Kurt. And, um, this this smells like Teen Spirit uh, video, for example, was based uh, in no small part on a um, outline that he made that was actually based on a a movie called Over the Edge from uh, I think nineteen eighty. I remember that movie. And is uh, that Matt Dillon? Is that yeah. Matt? yeah yeah I think it's one of Matt Dillon's first movies. Yeah, and um, that so. Um, uh, and that movie just is like tailor made for Kurt. Um, uh, 
and I have a whole long uh, uh, annotation about Over the Edge and its influence on the Smells Like Teen Spirit video and um, and Kurt. Um, but yeah, Kurt uh, controlled the visuals. That was that was his thing. Actually, one of you know my favorite, you know my my pet annotation actually is how when I uh, I, I decode the back cover of In Utero. He actually hit a Kurt actually hit a little secret message in there that I don't, I don't think anyone has uh, heretofore discovered, <laughs> uh, but it's 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 in my book and it's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, Kurt made a lot of visual art. He made sculptures and painted a lot, and you know that. So that yeah, that was that was Kurt's sensibility right there. Were they the first? Were they considered the first kind of? indie rock band to kind of blow up mainstream i mean there were other indie rock bands before that but were they considered the ones that kind of blew the doors open for other for other bands i would say that the the bands that who blew open the doors would be rem oh right okay Uh, jane's addiction faith no more all right yeah i don't know but but the, the interesting thing is they all just seem really different from Nirvana, you know what I mean? It's almost like they don't even seem like they're in the same category. Well, and, REM, I mean, yeah, yeah true, but yeah, REM, but REM always felt like to me they had their own category, and Nirvana just felt like its own thing. Nothing else sounded like that. Hmm. You know? Hmm. Um. I mean, you you could name a lot of you know antecedents uh, stylistically to Nirvana, and you know they they put their own spin on it, but. I, yeah, I I mean those other bands made some REM made some beautiful records. Yeah, I love Nothing's Shocking by Jane's Addiction. Um, <clears throat> so I, I I get what you mean, Courtney. Like I, for for me, it's the way that Nirvana, like I say, kind of captured the zeitgeist, this, this yeah. mood of of a whole generation of kids, rather than uh, like REM, for instance kind of making some really beautiful records that touched your heart um but i don't know something about nirvana was bigger on a like a sociological level they feel just as important today like you have this book and this book seems like essential reading today just like it would have been 30 years ago you know what i mean it there's just a feeling around them that mm-hmm. has always felt different than the other bands well, like we and love I tried to, yeah that's what i i, I partially i tried to sort yeah. of un, unpack that with the annotations you're exactly yeah. right yeah like i was just i'm i was trying to make sense of that phenomenon you know for other readers for people, like I say, people who were not born yet and people who were around, but also, you know, for myself, <laughs> you know, like, how did this happen? And so it's a whole, whole big constellation of factors. And I try to touch on as many as I can. I mean, I think with Nirvana and you, you talk about this first off, their metal influences, they tried to play them down, but you couldn't really kind of deny it. And metal is always sort of like punk metal. It kind of leads into, but they were like, a, you know, like a, college rock band for people who didn't go to college or barely even finished high school. I mean, that kind <laughs> of rage, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's funny. to, uh, But also they ways- were for the people who went to college and high school, right? It felt like everybody, there was a piece in their music that was human that everybody, I feel like gravitated toward. Cause mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan back there. I didn't give a shit. But when I would, 
I, you know, the MTV Unplugged, I sat and I watched that. I don't know why I felt like I needed to watch it. I didn't it really gorgeous. care. It's and gorgeous. I sat there and by the end of it, I had such a newfound respect for them. I was like, mm-hmm. these guys, it's special. It's, and sometimes you can't, trying to figure out what's the secret magic sauce is hard mm-hmm. to do because it's just, it, they still feel special. Even for me, a guy who didn't, I have all of their records. I don't know if I've listened to any of them more than once, right? But it still feels special, the music. Yeah, there's something about Nirvana that, you know, had this ineffable quality. You you can't really put your finger on it. It makes you feel something. You're not even quite sure what it makes you feel, but it's super powerful. And that's, you know, that's the the beauty of music right there. Did they all share, I mean... Was it, did he wrote all of the songs? Was there a, a, a division of labor? A la, you know, I know REM, they put all their names on the tracks. And I think the same with you too, right? Mm. But was was Kurt the only credited songwriter? Um, uh, well, that's that's a whole can of worms. Uh, another yeah. thing that, <laughs> that I get to get into in the book. But, um, it, you know, uh, um, you know, Kurt basically wrote the songs, but... Um, I'm, but you know, a good argument could be made that, you know, rock songs aren't just the chords, the melody and the words, it's the arrangements. It's how the band plays, you know, like, uh, like the sound of the Rolling Stones, like, I don't know, what if Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played the Rolling Stones catalog? You know, they might not have been as successful. (laughs) Who knows? You know, it's the sound, the, the band sound. And, um, so there was a, uh, you know, a little bit of an intra-band fight about uh, publishing um, royalties and things like that. And eventually Kurt and uh, Chris um, got a piece of Smells Like Teen Spirit and a few other songs that kind of got jammed into shape. Um, but that, that, yeah, that's a whole uh, story that uh, you can read now, about in the book. <laughs> now, what about Courtney? I feel like what I'm very confused. Courtney? <laughs> what you. about Courtney? What about Courtney? I'm confused about Courtney because just my little bit of knowledge, fans didn't seem to like her very much. I mean, the <laughs> child service, protective service is about to take her kid away, poor thing. <laughs> and what was her involvement, if any, with the band? Or was she just Kurt's wife? Or was she, because I feel like some people try to give her the Yoko treatment. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I, I don't think she was <laughs> any sort of Yoko uh, right. in this situation. Um, I don't know, she was Kurt's wife, and she's a, she's a powerful personality, very outspoken, you know, v- very opinionated and very, uh, you know, bright, incisive mind. <laughs> and, um, and she's a musician in her own right and an artist in general in her own right. And um, she was not shy about venturing her opinions. And um, I, I'm sure, um, you know, some people would say she was too forthright in venturing her opinions. But the, I don't know, the fact remains, it was, you know, it was Kurt's band and nothing happened without his say so. So I, I think maybe um, uh, her, you know, interference in the band's, especially artistic processes, way overstated well i mean like you said i mean she was she was his wife and i will say just not to harp too much on her 
But in, in, in reverse, it was always assumed that Kurt wrote um, all of her stuff. And then when he died, that Billy Corgan wrote all of her stuff. So she never really got any real credit for, for her own material. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that, uh, yeah, it cuts both ways. Uh, unfortunately I, I'm not, yeah, I, I haven't really followed that whole foo for all <laughs> about, <laughs> about who wrote, uh, who actually wrote some of those whole songs, but, uh, I, that's the kind of thing I stay out of. Very wise, a very wise decision. I, I want to ask you if you do not mind about just a little bit about, um, is there such a thing as indie rock anymore? College, I mean, does that category just sort of, is it, is it a thing of its time? Can there be an indie rock in an age of where anybody can put out any record at any time and stream it and you don't need the label and you don't need the apparatus? Well, uh, okay. So, so you mean indie rock in the, in the fiscal sense of not being distributed by a major yeah. label rather than, you know, the genre. <laughs> well, a little of both, a little of both. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there are still independent labels that are not st- distributed by major labels. So there, you know, and there is rock music on those labels. Therefore, there is indie rock. <laughs> right. um, and uh, the, the, the whole point about uh, being on a major label is that you have this apparatus around you. You have, you know, uh, publicists whose, you know, emails and phone calls get returned. You have promotion people uh, and marketing people who can get, you know, records, uh, into, you know, stores or, you know, online, um, mar- sa- stores and things like that. Um, uh, radio promotion people who get, uh, songs placed, whereas the indie labels don't, you know, especially the smaller ones don't have that clout. So, you know, there's still that, that quantum difference, you know, the, the major label artists still have a, an incredible advantage. Oh, oh yeah. Cause they're still fighting, you know, for all of those banners you see on all of the DSPs and all of that spot, right. the spots you see on the side and the little ads. And yeah. It's, it's, it definitely is, is a bullfight for those, for those spaces. And, but the thing is like the, the, yeah, exactly. And the internet, um, I think has, you know, enabled, uh, this idea of indie because like you say, anyone can just put out their record. You could just, you know, you, you can stream your record um, all over the planet if you want. Um, no one may know about it because it's just you and you don't have a publicist or a marketing team, but you can do it. And that was, you know, that's sort of like the, you know, t- the, the uh, you know, to the nth power <laughs> uh, uh, version of what indie rock was uh, in the 80s, which was uh, starting your own, you know, independent distribution system, your own DIY parallel universe and um now the internet has just enabled that a thousand fold yeah because there's these artists i mean maybe it's a function of being old but there'll be these artists they're number one you see, i see it more kind of in in rap but there'll be a number one album and you're like who the hell is this guy but then when you talk to the target audience which is not 64 year old white women believe it or not um <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I saw him on TikTok. That's how I know him, and he's a big star now. And it it just seems like it's it, it that's become the new version of like making the cassette tapes and passing it around to your friends. Although it's uh, you know, of course, as you know, TikTok has also been kind of big footed by uh, oh, yeah. very <laughs> powerful. Say, 
all my friends who sit in who who I know that work at labels. That's the, you know it's 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 weird because you have these giant labels which a bunch of them have to me very poor marketing. The whole idea of sitting around like can we get it to TikTok and TikTok really will dictate these kids. You can't you could try to push it to them. They will find something and a challenge and 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 if or if you can get your thing going. TikTok will get you a hit. That's what turned Lizzo's record around. That's what mm-hmm. turned Paint the Town Red by Doja Cat around. Like TikTok, that, that's the new marketing tool for everything. If you can get it to TikTok and it becomes a hit there, then it can kind of cross to radio and other things. Yeah, and uh, and also commercials. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you get, get your, your TikTok hit uh, put on a Chevrolet ad and... Um, but see, this is why everybody's selling their catalogs. They're selling their, their catalogs to these nameless, faceless capital venture groups, and that's all they're doing, right? They're taking those catalogs and they're selling it. I want it in commercials. I want mm-hmm. it on an online ad. Put it in a TV show. Put it in a movie. It's weird. Indeed. What do you... It, it's such a... I don't know. It's like a question that should be answered and should be asked and maybe shouldn't be answered, but what the hell? I, I mean... They have lasted. There are still huge interests. They're almost like they are a mythical band in so many ways, Nirvana, because as you said, so many people were not alive to to watch to watch this very brief comet of of influence and power and, and creativity happen. What is their tangible sort of influence? Because I am sure and this is not to be like the Paul McCartney and Wings analogy. I'm sure there's a lot of people who do not know that Dave Grohl had a band before Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I make uh, a differentiation between influence and inspiration. Um, right around, you know, after Nirvana exploded, there were a lot of bands that were influenced by Nirvana. In other words, they sounded kind of like them. And there was a ton of them. They got signed by the truckload, you know, in the mid nineties. And, and that's something that the music industry always does. They always try to, you know, copy the hit and try to get a, uh, you know, uh, candle box. Where are you now? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's, there's tons of them, (laughs) but there are also people who were, we need uh, to do a whole candle box show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there also there's inspiration. There are people who are inspired to make music by someone else, and the music doesn't necessarily sound like them. Um, uh, like my friend Ty Braxton, who's a really acclaimed uh, uh, composer, he was inspired by Nirvana. Um, uh, apparently, Lil Peep was inspired by Nirvana. That well, uh, that I think is I that I understand. I, I mean, he has spoken about that. I've read I read yeah. interviews with him where he is, but he also grew up in a household where his parents his parents were young enough to have played Nirvana. Mm-hmm. You know, but the, but Lil Peep does not sound like Nirvana. Is the point? No. And uh, I don't know, MIA has said she's been she was inspired by Nirvana. I mean, I think the Avett brothers <laughs> said they were inspired by. You know, it's like a lot of people. Uh, were inspired by Nirvana, and that uh, I think is the the real musical legacy, not they necessarily cap- bands that sound like them. They captured an angst that I don't care if you like hip hop, if you like dance music, what all teenagers and people you get to a certain period of life, and I think mm. you have that angst, and they they encapsulated that moment. Mm. 
And it has gone through generations. Yeah. Well, it never changes. Yeah. I mean, there's always, I mean, it's, things are worse now than they ever were in many ways. Um, I mean, they're, I'm very grateful that I am not that age to push back, but there's a lot to push back about. I just want to see who do you, I always heard a lot of obviously Pixies in Nirvana, but I also heard a lot of replacements in Nirvana too. Am I way off base here? Um, I, I actually asked uh, Kurt about the replacements, and he said he never really listened to them. <laughs> oh, I don't believe him. I, I don't know. I, I I looked at his record collection. I didn't see any replacements. Um, okay. you know, right. Replacements are sort of like um, almost like more old school rock and roll. Yeah. Um, right. And they weren't um, – the replacements weren't um, – part of the community really of the indie rock community that Kurt really admired. Um, you know, people who kind of networked and were part of that kind of DIY thing. Uh, uh, they were, they were actually a little bit out of that. And um, so Kurt, uh, you know, I'm talking more about bands like butthole surfers, who's do sonic youth, you know, big right. black people who were part of that community. That's more, you know, Kurt's uh, world. But I mean, if you want to talk about roots of Nirvana, I mean, you, you could all go uh, all the way back to Creedence Clearwater Revival. Um, big, really big influence. You, f- you think about it, really basic chords, great melodies, uh, right. uh, a kind of screamy uh, lead singer, very basic right. music. Right. Just drawing more from like an obvious American sort of Americana, for lack of a better word, kind of bass, you know, but it's that chorus loud. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, not chorus loud, uh, verse loud, you know, that dynamic, but Mm. it's not like that hasn't been going on forever in rock and roll. I mean, that's a pretty standard template for a lot of rock music. I also just have a hard on for the replacement. So (laughs) no, I think, um, yeah, yeah, he didn't. I, I, you know, if I had to choose one, you know, Twin Cities uh, punk rock band that influenced Nirvana, probably probably would be Who's Could Do, right. or Soul Asylum. So, uh, yeah, that. But you know, the I, the classic rock uh, element of Nirvana, I think, is partially what made them accessible to large groups of people. People yeah. were tapping into something that sounded like had some threads of things that they were very familiar with, like Creedence Clearwater Revival. You could hear some Beatles in Nirvana. And then, uh, you know, in a lot of the classic indie rock that, that people. And the metal and the metal hmm. aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, you, again, you don't become, you don't become that huge a group if you're only speaking to, you know, a bunch of disaffected kids wearing flannel in Aberdeen. You know, you, it's, it's, they kind of touched upon every kind of, yeah. I mean, you just, can't I think they went across gender lines. They went across racial barriers, black kids yep. like them, white kids like them, Asian kids like them, Latin kids like them. They, white kids, they just, they hit on something that everyone feels. And I think that's why it is carried through. All and the women, generation. like it was yeah. very obvious that mm-hmm. Kurt was, and his roots. Well, he was, pr- and he was pretty, right. And he was a pretty boy. And I think girls just thought, Oh my God, they always well, love, they always love the pretty boy who can be kind of sad or something. They feel like I can save him or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. You? <laughs> I, I thoroughly yeah, agree, Courtney. You, 
When you're mm-hmm. 20, yes. I would no, look at him as but, a young like, mother going, but, wash your hair, young but man. But some of you <laughs> girls when you're 20, it's like, no, I no, can I save know. him. Yeah, we, all, we all love, when he's we're in so our 20s, we, so all love a, we all love a junkie. And then we realize they're stealing your silverware. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michael, oh, sorry, finish your thought. And oh, then we're going to. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think Courtney is exactly right. I mean, I think. You know, let's face it. Part of it was the fact that uh, Kurt was a good-looking man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really helped uh, popularize the band. I think you know, and it's and that's again like a timeless, you know, pop uh, truth. Uh, you it know, helped, going back it helps to, to have a good-looking lead singer. Never yeah, heard. Chuck Berry's good-looking man. Elvis Presley, good-looking man. You know. And I will, and again, I will give them this, and then we'll we'll wrap up way ahead of their time in terms of pushing the quote-unquote status quo genre, you know, uh, not genre, gender barriers, very clearly pro-women coming out of like a riot girl um, scene. So I have to always give them that, that they were a feminist group without, you know, without, you felt that as a woman, that they were on your side, you know. Even though they were making quite aggressive music. Yeah, but women can be aggressive, Michael. Um, Yes, 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 women can be, but it's not... um, yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean it was very male sounding yeah yeah it was very male sounding i think that unplugged really proved the Mm -hmm. i mean that you know aggressive music with a pretty boy and you're going to get the ladies you just are you are the men you you absolutely are but you're going to get a pretty boy who seems sensitive thrashing girls are going to be like That's my everything. He's my boyfriend. <laughs> he's my husband. All of the yeah. things. Uh-huh. Um, Michael, what do you, I'm just curious. We're just curious because we always talk about what we're listening to right now. What do you, is there anything in particular you're listening to that you that has piqued your interest musically? Um, I love. Um, <clears throat> there's a band called Horse Lords. Love them. They they play in. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure exactly what this means, but uh, they play in just intonation, which is a, a type of tuning. And uh, yeah, um, uh, they their latest album, I oh, can't remember uh, what it's called, but anyway, they are brilliant and uh, they blow my mind. Um, Lloyd Cole, his new album wow, called On he's, Pain. He's still, wow. Yeah, he, cool. he, uh, he made a, basically a, a synth, analog synth album. Uh, and it's uh, exquisite and really um, moving. I love Deerhoof, their okay. new album Miracle Level. Love Deerhoof. Um, love the new Sparks album. Yeah. Um, they make it look good for the old people, don't they? Yeah, actually, it's funny. You know, you I, I was saying about how there's like not many bands that sound like Nirvana, but you know, um, this there's this new younger new band called Feeble Little Horse. <laughs> they sound and I, like I don't. I really shy away from retro stuff. Um, oh, Jalen, love Jalen. Um, Mind blowing music. Um, but feeble little horses, like there's totally. Um, they're like '90s alt rock, but and I don't. I shy away from the kind of the retro kind of thing. I, I want to hear music of it, you know, of the moment. But I can't help it. I like them. Oh, uh, Lorraine's new album, I Killed Your Dog. Really, really great. There's a lot of animals in your <laughs> list there. I see two horses and a puppy. <laughs> and they all seem to be dead in the titles. Like, what's going on? Dead or thrash? Yeah, what's happening? Why are people killing puppies? I don't know what I think about the puppy killing. Uh, well, well, well it's, a, it's a dog. You know, it, it, it could be older. 
Yeah, I, I killed your dog. Yeah, I killed your dog. All right. Yeah. As if I always tell people, it's like you're acting as though I killed your dog or something. And yeah. Well, I think that might be part of uh, the how how she got the album title. But yeah, Expression. it's L apostrophe R A I N. I really recommend that record. Okay. Oh, you. oh, I've seen her name before. Yeah. Okay. All right, Michael. Uh, plug your book one more time. Or I'll plug your book. I'm going to hold it up to the screen so that. It's backwards and nobody can see it. The Amplified Come As You Are, The Story of Nirvana by Michael Azrad with design by Lawrence Azrad. That's right. I mean, and it really is a great, I mean, it's really great. Um, It's a wonderful book, Michael, and I wouldn't just say that because you're my friend. I would say it anyway. Thank you, Um, Amy. No, it's really good. It's really, really, a, it's, and I, I have to admire you undertaking, because this is not like I'm just going to add a few, like, director's cut scenes in it. Like, this is a major undertaking, so bravo <laughs> to you. And I feel like friend. I don't have to say this to our audience, but I am going to say it. Books matter. Reading yes. matters. You know what? Christmas is coming up. <laughs> and for your music people and your music nerds, music history is really important. It is. Here is a book that I think your people who love music will love. You have to do a Kris Kringle at work. How about the Nirvana book? You know (laughs) what I'm saying? Perfect (laughs) gift. Books matter, people. Read, please. Books matter. And and, and Hanukkah. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Courtney. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And Uh, Festivus for the rest of us. And Kwanzaa. (laughs) All of the things. Yeah. Um, Michael, thank you for doing this. Uh, we Thank you for having it. me. Oh yeah, of course. And um, did you get a haircut, Michael? No, you. Oh me, yes. The person I that did. I can see. Did you get? Yes, did, it I looks did really good. No, I know. Did you get, did you get your haircut just for this podcast? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, Michael, I did. No, no I, I didn't. Whenever, whenever they whenever cut your I hair, you get the bouncy curl, and no, that's when all your curl and stuff comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because it's blown dry. No, yeah. I had to because it was getting to the point where I was like looking at myself, going, "This is too goddamn long." Yes, I did. Thank you. No, but I know. I was like, she looks nicer than usual. Whoa! Well, whenever I have a guest, you know, I put a little extra effort into it. Courtney, I think you meant she she looks even nicer than ever. Thank you. Yeah, that. No, whenever I have a guest, I put a little extra effort into it. I would have worn some maquillage, but I woke up a little too early and I'm grading papers. But thank you. Yes, it's not going to look like this in about two days, but I'm just. No, but it looks really good. Yeah. I'm fixing the curls. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Uh, Courtney, take us out, please. You know what it is, everybody. It's I'm a Let You Finish on the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's show number one. He does this every week. I don't know why he does this like cornball (laughs) accent every week. It's, I need you to do it in Spanish next week. I'm gonna okay. You want me to do it like Bloomberg? Mayamo Courtney. He was the El best with that. El Pantheon Podcast. I know. He was like El Pantheon Podcast Network. I used to love his phonic Spanish because at least he tried and he did it. Our mayor now is invisible, and then when we do see him, he's like, "What do you mean, like?" I, my people were working. <laughs> it's like, sir, sir. Anyway, you're listening to us on the Pantheon Podcast Network, where there is a plethora, get it, of show music shows, every kind of style, every genre, genre, and us. The people who've been listening to us directly from the Pantheon Podcast feed, thank you. We appreciate you. To the, our day ones and the people who've been coming along, joining this ride with us, 
thank you. We appreciate you. Leave us a message on our Facebook page. I'm going to let you finish all one word. We're really active there. We have all the other ones, but we're most active there. So go there or you can find us on TikTok and I'm going to let you finish podcast and we will see you next week. Toodles. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.